Good morning, everybody. Uh, to those on site and also to those online, special welcome to you and a big welcome uh, to those in the overflow. Uh, let's give a hoot and holler for whoever's in overflow this morning. Uh, you're here because they're there. So uh, th this uh, leads me to uh, something I just want to address before we jump into the sermon. Uh, if you've been around on site over the last month, you know that we are uh, continually hitting our capacity limit as we're uh, faith gatherings are at one-third capacity. Uh, and uh, I know for some people, you know, showing up to come to church and then being stuck in overflow is not what you had in mind. Uh, some of you are choosing to stay home um, because of those capacity issues and uh, wanting to be comfortable being in the space, and we recognize all of that. Um, and so these have not been uh, easy things to navigate and continue to pivot and solve, uh, as you can understand. Uh, and so we're just acknowledging that we know that this is, this is a thing. Uh, we're working at a solution. Uh, step one of that solution was to move our junior highs off-site, and who wasn't excited about that? No, just, <laughs> just kidding. Um, kind of, I love my kids. Uh, but uh, so uh, moving them to Trinity created a, a few extra spots in here, which has been, which has been great. Um, uh, but we are currently looking at uh, adding a second service again, uh, but we want to build a little bit of a longer ramp to that. Uh, we'll do that in the new year. Um, and so just so we are all on the same page, uh, we have had some of our key volunteers uh, during this whole COVID roller coaster we've been a part of, uh, serving significantly uh, for a long time. And because of the COVID realities, it actually depleted our uh, that volunteer base, and so put a lot of weight on a few uh, people. Uh, and so we've always been uh, trying to protect and navigate that, uh, which is why we've been resistant to just add a second service so quickly. Um, but we are now targeting the new year uh, to do that. Uh, but to do that and to do that well and to honor volunteers, we're also looking for uh, other people to step into the gap uh, and to help, whether that's in kids or uh, on Sunday mornings during the services or greeting or whatever it might be. And so if you're willing... If you're not currently serving anywhere, but you're attending, you call Sunwest Home. Uh, we'd love to chat with you uh, about uh, stepping in and being a part of that solution uh, as we look into the new year. Uh, in the meantime, we're just going to embrace the chaos together. Okay? okay. All right. Uh, okay, reunion. Uh, we are uh, now significantly down uh, in getting down into the series. Uh, we are looking at the good news of Jesus for seeker saints and sinners. And this is... Uh, the good news of Jesus is simple and it's complex. And so this is a, you might be thinking, this is a long series. Yeah, because uh, if we are going to give our whole lives to something, it's probably worth our time to really think through what that thing is. Um, and so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, uh, the reason we gather here uh, together, the reason we sing songs, the reason we, we come to the Bible uh, and reflect on God's word to us uh, every single week is because we believe and have been transformed by the good news of Jesus. Uh, so it's important that we spend time to talk about what that is. Uh, and so it's very simple in some ways, uh, but it's very complex uh, in other ways. Uh, and so we talked about the simplicity of that, and the good news in one word was Jesus. Uh, and uh, the good news in two words was Jesus is Lord. Uh, okay, so let's try one more time. The good news in one word was The good news in three words there we go. So we looked at the, the simple explanation of the gospel, and now we've been looking at the gospel in 30 words and taking our time kind of going through uh, these uh, 30 words. So the gospel in 30 words is Jesus is God with us, come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, shut down religion, 
so we can share in God's life. So, uh, and that is exactly 30 words for you type A personalities that are trying to count those words right now. Uh, exactly 30. Uh, and again, this is not the ultimate exhaustive summary of the gospel. It just gives us some key points to think about as we uh, think through the implications of the gospel. Uh, and each week we've kind of just reflected quickly on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is something that is taught in psychology, which just basically ex explains or uh, points us towards some of our basic human needs. Uh, and when we spend time to ponder what the gospel actually means and what it, what it is, we recognize that God intended it to, to meet all of our basic human needs. Uh, and so sometimes we oversimplify the gospel, uh, and although there's truth in it, the complexity of the gospel actually uh, brings us to a place of what we actually need. And God knows what we need because he created us. So the, the, three, the 30 words, the gospel 30 words, starts with the ground of the gospel, Jesus God with us. And then it talks about the gifts of the gospel, these four things that God did for us that we could not do for ourselves. And so that's what, where we currently are. We looked at uh, God's love last week, that Jesus came to show us God's love. And this week we are looking at the second one, Jesus came to save us from sin, the second gift. And I understand why some people don't like the word sin. Does anybody want to admit right now that when I said the word sin, you just had like a little shiver that went through your spine? It's like, okay. I knew it. You know, the one time I decided to go to church or to tune in online, and they were going to talk about sin. Of course they were. Um, and I understand why some people don't like this word. And I think we don't like it uh, because we probably don't really understand it. Uh, but if we spend time to actually to break down what sin is, uh, most of us, I think, would probably be in some agreement that something is not right in this world. Something is not right in us. And sin has often been used to condemn people, um, the word sin is used to condemn people, rather than as a means to actually explain the hope that people have. But when we know what it really means, and use it in the way that Jesus intended, sin becomes a useful word to describe the problem that we all experience. The problem that we all share. The problem that we would all say, you know, this is just part of what it means to be human, part of the human experience. The Hebrews had a, uh, a very uh, deep word uh, that we've included in our mission statement here at Some of Us, and that's the word shalom. And the word shalom means to be in right relationship uh, in every direction, in four primary directions, right relationship with God, right relationship with others, right relationship with ourselves, and right relationship with the world. And so this is the, the beginning of the biblical story. And sin is the breaking of that, of those relationships. Uh, that started from the primary relationship we were all created for, was, which was a relationship with God. And so when that relationship became broken, it had impact in all four directions. Now, that's why our vision statement at SunWest is to see shalom breakers become shalom makers. And the gospel, the good news, is actually what brings us from that first part of the statement to the second. is an English translation of the Greek word hamartia. Everybody say hamartia. Sounds Mexican to me. Sounds like a, a taco. Um, hamartia. It, it, this, this word simply means to miss the mark, to, to fail to hit the bullseye, to be off target. Uh, so sin refers to, in any way, to the way that we fail to live up to God's design for us to live. Sin is being a little bit off-center. It's being out of sync. It's, it's singing out of tune. 
uh, with the way that God intended us to sing. It's participating in some way in shalom breaking, in the, the breaking of those relationships. Uh, and knowing that, knowing that's what sin is, I think every one of us could probably look around at the world and say something is not right, yeah? Even people that don't have faith. When you talk to people that don't have faith or they're not sure about faith or they might be uh, atheists, there, there, there's this underlying assumption, though, that something is not right in the world. And where do we get that moral compass from? Where do we get that idea that things need to be fixed, that things need to be different? You know, C.S. Lewis talks a lot in Mere Christianity that that, uh, that that sense, that posture that we have as humans is actually an indication that we were created uh, for a different type of world. We were created for, for, for unity and harmony between us and God and others and self and the world. And so sin describes that, that, that hamartia, it describes that, that brokenness, that missing of the mark, that we didn't quite hit center. And this is the human dilemma, that we are fractured image bearers. And what do I mean by that? When we were created in the beginning, we were created to be God's image bearers in creation. We were the pinnacle of creation. And I don't say that in a prideful way, but, but humans were created in a way to govern and have authority over creation. That is why the decisions that we make can have catastrophic implications on others in our world. Part of that's because we were created in God's image to be co-creators. And so we, we were created to be God's image bearers, to reflect him, to, to re-image him to the world, but sin has made us cracked image bearers. There's still, there's still resemblance of the image that we were made to create, but there's also things that, that have fractured that image. There is... And you know this intuitively. There, there, there's the you that knows better. There's the you that, that recognizes when you've kind of gone out of sync, that you've kind of missed the mark. Uh, you know, we, we talk about it in, in lots of everyday terms. You know, you're like, I should really start eating healthy. You know, we're coming up to New Year's, and that's usually New Year's resolution. I should really start eating healthy. And then in two months, the, you know you know better, but that, you know, that plate of nachos is just too tempting to resist, and so you do what you don't want to do. You know, maybe addictions. Here's a, we could look at it more in a more severe kind of way. Uh, we, we have addictions. We have things that we, we go to that we know are not healthy for us, but we continue to do that because sin is at work in us. You know, there's relationships that we have that are that are not good for us, and we continue to choose to engage in these relationships even though we've become less of a person in these relationships, but we say, yes, I'm going to keep doing that, even though I know I shouldn't. And so we have, this, we have this ought to sense as human beings, but we also have this inclination not to choose it and to go the, the, the path of least resistance. This is part of what it means to have hamartia, to have sin in our lives, to actually miss the mark and not be able to hit it continuously. So uh, sin separates. If you've experienced shalom breaking in any form, you know that sin separates. And hamartia is actually two words in one. Ha, everybody say ha, <laughs> which means not. And martia, uh, which means to be a part of, to be to get together with. And so the word literally means not a part of, not together with. In other, sin, in other ways, sin literally means separation, to be apart from. And you can see how this has worked its way into the archery term when people would shoot an arrow at a target and they would call it sin if it wasn't a bullseye because it just missed the mark. Even if it was just by a few degrees, it was still sin. The arrow was separated from where it was meant to be with. So I don't know where you're at in your faith. 
Uh, but my guess is you can look around at your own life in our world, your own relationships, your own insecurities, and you might not call it sin. You might not use that term. And you know, that's a really churchy word. Uh, but you would say something's not right. That something feels amiss. That something seems off-center. And the Bible calls that sin. Sin is a disruptor. It separates people. It divides groups. It fractures ourselves, our own minds, our own self-talk. And all of that grows out of this primary relationship that has been broken between humanity and God. Sin separates, and that's a basic fact. That's a basic human reality that we all experience. So Jesus said he came to release the prisoners and set the captives free. And we, start, we talk about this in our starting point week two, our Find Freedom Week. But Jesus came to release the captives, to release the prisoners and set the captives free. And if you think of the, the image that we had in the Gospel in 30 Words that he came to save us from sin, it's the image of breaking chains. And, th- and this is a, a very biblical metaphor that is used, uh, that's used repeatedly. That God has come to actually free us. And we think of the context of prisoners and captives, a uh, very similar experience that, that both of those are found in prison. They're both caged. They, all, they can't escape. Um, but they're there for different reasons. And what Jesus is alluding to is that we all are in prison. We're, we're all stuck uh, because either we're a prisoner, which means that we, we're there because of something we did, said, or something we chose to do or not do, or we're captives because of the sin of other people and the impact that, they, that that's had in our lives. Prisoners are in prison because of what they've done. Captives are there because they've been captured by others. The reality is we're both prisoners and captives. That we're all stuck, and it's a mix of things that we've chose to do, and it's a mix of being part of a world that has broken image bearers who have made decisions that have impacted us and have separated us from them. But Jesus said he came to release the captives, to, to free the captives and the prisoners. If you feel stuck because of what someone has done to you or because of the choices that you made, the good news of Jesus is that he's come to separate you and free you and break the chains of bondage so that you can be all that you were created to be. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Sin separates, and sin separates us. Sin is a force that is at work in every human being. There's no exceptions. It divides us from one another. Because we are affected by the virus of sin, we all malfunction. And deep down, we know we were created for relationships, and we've been reminded of that more acutely in the last couple of years than maybe we have in our whole lives. As we've experienced levels of isolation, whether because we're, we have not been allowed to meet with other people or maybe levels of isolation because of the polarization of the views of others versus the views that I might have, we've all experienced a new form of isolation which has reminded us that we were actually created for relationships. That we were created to be with others. And we don't think about that often, but when we've been separated from others, and there's this longing in our souls to actually be with others, uh, it points to what we were created for. Sin separates us. In, in Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is teaching, and he says this about sin. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. So pause there real quick. Sin, the problem is not out there, although it is out there. The problem is actually 
starts in here. And this is why many people don't like the word sin and why some people reject the good news and don't think it sounds that good because it actually holds up a little bit of a mirror. And Jesus is saying sin actually starts inside of us all. And then what does he say? Out of the person's heart, evil thoughts come. And he says sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The qualities of the sin mentioned in this list that Jesus gave are relationally corrosive. Do you see that? All of these sins that he's, he's referring to have a relational component. We don't have to just steal or kill or do something extreme uh, to, be, to identify and to, to understand sin. All of our little thoughts are actually, uh, when sin is involved, become relationally corrosive. They divide. They separate us. These behaviors are first and foremost attitudes of the heart. And so even before a sin is acted upon, we have a predisposition to actually push our, ourselves away from one another, to corrode relationships, even when deep down we know that that's not what we want. So when we say that we are sinners, we are acknowledging that there's something wrong, not that there's something wrong in the world out there, but that there's something wrong in here. And again, this is why many people... Uh, don't want to accept the good news because the good news actually comes, it comes to a point where we have to take responsibility. Responsibility, what's that? Responsibility, not quite yet. Name that band. Anybody? MXPX. Thank you. I, 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 gave, that, I gave that quote to my kids a couple of weeks ago because um, they were shirking their responsibilities and I started like rocking it on the, I got the guitar out, I started uh, playing the song and they're like, what is that? And then I played them MXPX and I introduced them to this whole realm of music that they had no idea existed. They're like, eh, that's okay. Um, anyways, uh, the gospel actually brings us to a place of, are we going to take responsibility? Because the problem didn't start out there, although our sin has implications that affect out there, uh, the problem is actually inside of us all. And not just some of us, but all of us. Sin separates us from who we were. So you see, we're just, we're just expanding on, this, word, on, on this, this line. It's getting longer and longer. Uh, but sin separates us from who we were. The Bible doesn't begin in Genesis 3. And many of you guys have maybe heard the good news, and it almost assumes a beginning in Genesis 3. But the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1. So to begin, uh, to, to talk about the good news, we actually need to begin in the beginning. And the good news was that God created us like I said, to be his image bearers, to be in right relation with him and with others. And when he created us, he said it was very good and we were the pinnacle of creation. We have infinite and intrinsic value. We have intrinsic value. We were created in his likeness. The truth is that we are infinitely precious image bearers of God. That's who we, you were created to be. We were designed to be like God. We were designed to be with God. We were designed to reflect God, and that's what makes sin so tragic. And so if you do not begin uh, with your understanding in Genesis 1, you actually begin with the presupposition that we are terrible human beings, and that God, his predisposition towards us is one where he doesn't want to be around us, where he hates us, where he, he can't stand to be with us. But that is actually not what the Bible is telling us. We were created with intrinsic value to know God, to be with God, to reflect God, God made us in his image, male and female, in his image. 
Our wills, our wants, our desires, they were all originally created to be in tune with God. Think about it. What would it be like to always know clearly and exactly what you should do, what the right thing was to do, and not only to know it, but to want to do it? Wouldn't our world be a far better place? This is the way it was in the beginning. Before sin corroded, corrupted, that Adam and Eve knew God. They walked with God. They knew exactly what God wanted, that their, their desires and their wills were formed the way that God wanted them to be. That was our original state. That was our intended humanity. And so if we begin in Genesis 1 versus Genesis 3, it also impacts the way that we see ourselves. Sin is not who we are. I mean, we use the term, we're sinners, and that actually can get confusing because you can actually start to identify with your sin. But if you want to understand sin in Scripture, sin is something that is viral in our human system. It corrupts, it destroys, it, it kills, but it is not who you are. We are cracked image bearers. Uh, there's, a, there's a really famous slogan uh, from the 16th century. There's a theologian that said, we are just snow-covered dung. I mean, doesn't that get you excited? Doesn't that make you feel good about yourself? Because of what Jesus has done, he covered us with snow and we're clean. And from the outside looking in, you can't tell. But, yeah, but even after you walk with Jesus, you're still a piece of poo. Uh, that was like... That was the good news. But it's okay, because God sees you like snow. Uh, you are actually not your sin. Your identity and your sin are separate. Uh, I, I remember a number of years ago, I was riding uh, my mountain bike. Um, you know, shocker. Sorry for all the mountain bike illustrators. So I was riding my mountain bike, and I wiped out, and I broke my collarbone. I was like, I have a... Uh, a pretty nice bike, I really like it. Uh, anyways, but I crashed on it, I broke my collarbone, and I was kind of out in the bush, and I had to walk the bike back. And as I was walking back, I just stepped and dragged my bike. There's this whole section of horse manure all over the trail, and I got it all over my bike, all over me. And I'm like, I'm like hobbling through this horse crap, sorry uh, for my language, and it's getting all over me and all over the bike. Uh, and I get back... Uh, I get back to the parking lot, there's a little river where the trailhead was, and I like, I get down on my broken collarbone, and I drag my bike into the water, and I start washing off the horse crap on my body and my bike, just sitting, crying to myself, um, <laughs> washing everything off. But, not for one second did I think my bike or my person had less value because it was covered in horse manure. Not once. I took it to the river because I knew that uh, in order for it, for it to be restored to its actual beauty, uh, I had to get rid of the manure that was all over it. It was a sad moment. Uh, but I didn't feel like now my, my bike or my person is no more, less valuable. I mean, I was disappointed about the broken collarbone, but I got over it eventually after six weeks. Um, but, you know, a little silly illustration, but you understand what I'm saying. I was not riding, nor was I, a piece of poo. Otherwise, I would have just left it in the river. I cleaned it up in the river, and then I took it home. There, there's, there's some people, when they speak about the good news, there's an insinuation and a belief that we 
have no value. We might as well just leave ourselves in the river. That's actually not the good news. The good news starts in Genesis 1. That you are valuable. You are not a piece of poop. Can I? Yeah, this is like the most beautiful theology. You can tweet that. You're not a piece of poop. You just throw it out there. You have intrinsic value. We're not snow-covered dung. We're actually dung-covered gold. That is the picture that we see in Scripture. You're not snow-covered dung. You're dung-covered gold. Sin separates us not just from who we were, but who we were meant to be. You and I, we were meant to be something more than we are. Many of us live each day with a suppressed sense of shame because our failure to be who we were, who we think we ought to be. And many of us feel like hypocrites or imposters because we're not quite who we think we should be. The only reason many of us don't implode under this weight of who we should be was, was this belief that our future is going to be better, that uh, we're going to be... Uh, we're going to have a better job, we're going to have more money, we're going to be thinner, we're going to be more successful, we're going to be attractive, we're going to be popular. You know, one day, one day, one day. And, the, and, the, and that future self actually gives us a sense of hope and belief in the current reality. But what if you knew that you were never going to get a better job, you were never going to lose that weight, you were never going to make those friends, that things were always going to stay the same? Can you be happy with who you are today, just as today? You see, we were, we were we intrinsically... We have this need to actually advance, to be better, to do more. And deep inside our subconscious selves, the force of sin is at work, making us fail being ourselves here and now, and then accusing us for that failure. Jesus was fully human. He was the perfect human. He was a picture of true humanity. He was a picture of what it means to be human without sin. And so he gives us like a snapshot of who we could be. And not since Adam and Eve has the world seen a perfect person. And how did humanity respond when a perfect person showed up? Well, they killed him for it. They simply couldn't handle what Jesus was showing them. We can't handle what Jesus is showing us. His per his perfection uncovered our imperfection and his sin made us feel shame and made us feel insecure. It challenged our, our religious ideas. But here's the good news. If we let him, Jesus will not only show us what it means to be fully human, he will actually give us his Holy Spirit to help us become who we were meant to be. And sin not only separates us from who we were meant to be, it separates us from who we were meant to be with. And last week we learned that God at his very core is relationship. God is a plurality, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We were designed by relationship for relationship. To sin, uh, sin is a foreign substance to relationship, to love. So love must therefore reject sin, because sin separates. The prophet Isaiah said, said these words. He said, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, but nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. We were created to be in a relationship with God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Notice that he says, our iniquities have separated us from God and that our sins have hidden his face. So again, it is not uncommon to hear that because of sin, God has separated himself from you. Because God is holy and you're sinful, God has hidden his face from you. This is not 
actually what it says. It simply isn't true. It is our sin that has separated us from God. Us from God. So where do we get this idea that God couldn't actually come near us or be around us? You know, we talk about God's holiness, his righteousness, and that he can't actually be close to sin. Uh, and we, we, we primarily get it in, in three places. The first place is here, in Isaiah 59. Uh, but the, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah says, if you just keep reading a little bit further, he says, the Lord looked. What did he do? He looked. So he, he faced us. He looked at us and was displeased to find that there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So what did he do? He himself stepped down to save them with his strong arm. So God is love. God stepped down from heaven to come to earth. He did not run away from our sin. He was not afraid of us. He was not too holy or too righteous to be near us. God actually wanted to create a solution. And so we, we have this idea that God is too holy to be near, near us, and it comes from a misreading of Isaiah 59. It also comes from a misreading of Habakkuk uh, chapter 1, uh, where, where in Habakkuk chapter 1 it basically says, God, you're too pure to look at sin. But again, we don't keep reading. Habakkuk is actually complaining. He's saying, God, you're too holy, you're too pure to look at sin, so why do you do it? Why do you keep being patient? Why do you keep pursuing people that don't want to love you back? Habakkuk's complaining that God isn't too pure to look at sin, that he keeps looking at sin, that he keeps tolerating it, that he keeps initiating. That's the context of Habakkuk 1. The other place that we get this idea that God's too holy, too righteous to be close to us uh, comes from the crucifixion story where Jesus is hanging on the cross and he quotes Psalm 22 and he said, My God, my God, how, why have you forsaken me? And we think that in that moment, God the Father turned his, son, turned his back on Jesus the Son, uh, but that's actually not what's happening again. In Psalm 22, if you were, were to read Psalm 22, that's uh, only the beginning of Psalm 22. And let, me, let me show you. And in fact, there's references to Psalm 22 all throughout the cruci crucifixion story. Jesus was living Psalm 22 in the crucifixion. So it begins, and Psalm, Psalm uh, 22 begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the beginning of the story, beginning of the psalm. And then we see all these references to, the, prophetic references to the crucifixion, and then the ending of the way that Psalm 22 ends. It says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people unborn that he has done it. You see, Jesus actually flips this idea that God has forsaken us on its head. And he shows us a God that actually came to heaven, to earth, to do it, to be with us, to bring the solution to our separation. So yes, sin separates, but it separates us from God. It doesn't separate God from us, and there's a difference. And then lastly, sin separates us from who we were meant to be with forever. Sin is like a spiritual virus, and like a virus, sin spreads. It multiplies, it infects. Sin isn't a static thing that just sits in the corner of our lives. It's not like 
you know, a tumor that continues to grow. It is like a tumor that continues to grow and, take, and just takes over. And so if sin is like that, if sin is like a virus that, that grows, that doesn't actually just remain, how much sin do you think that God should let into heaven? 1%, 0 0.05, 5%. You know, if sin is actually like a virus that grows, you'd say, well, there, there could not be sin in heaven. There could not be sin in God's eternal realm. Not even just a little bit. And so the, the, the answer to the question has to be zero. I mean, it's, it's not that unsimilar when an Olymp Olympic athlete goes for a drug test uh, and, and they, they get tested for performance-enhancing drugs, excuse me, and they say, well, it's just a little trace. It's just a little trace. You know, I don't, I don't use performance-enhancing drugs that much. But say, well, no, we can't, we, we, we can't allow that. We, we, that would actually uh, eliminate what the Olympics is. So we sometimes fail to recognize that sin is like a virus, an illness that spreads, and God's standard for heaven must be sinless perfection. And, and combine that, again, with the truth that we are not sin. And so what does it look like for us to be with God forever in the way that we were made to be, in the way that we were made to live. If God let us into our eternal dwelling with still, sin still a part of our lives, then we would just be back to square one. We would pollute the whole realm of heaven and start the whole mess of planet Earth all over again. So God bans sin from heaven. And so if we choose to cling to sin, uh, we need to choose to cling to sin, cling, cling to sin, wow, sorry, cling to sin, or cling to God, but we cannot cling to both. And so when the Bible refers to hell, this is what it's referring to. Hell is, quarantines the infection in a different realm. It does not allow sin to enter heaven. Hell is God's quarantine solution for people to, who prefer to hold on to their sin rather than hold on to God. And C.S. Lewis says that hell is locked from the inside, not the outside. And I think that's just profound, that we actually choose to cling to sin even when God offers us better news. Now, there's much we can say about hell. Um, there's lots of uh, key concepts to hell, but, but hell itself is not a key concept to the gospel. In fact, in, in the book of Acts, where we see the first sermons of the early church, uh, there's no references to hell. Because people intuitively know that the gospel is about saving them towards someone, not from something. Hell is intuitively about saving us towards someone, not from something. And that's not to say that there is no hell or to diminish the reality of hell. It just wasn't central to the good news because the good news was all about Jesus and bringing us to relationship with God. In that, God takes care of the, the sin separation solution. So, yes, the, the story begins in Genesis 1. We are with God and God's image bearers, but after a couple of chapters, we recognize that there's a, there's a serious problem. The sin problem. And it's been passed on to us, generation after generation. And the human condition is to try and deny responsibility and say, hey, it's a problem that's out there, it's out there. Amen. If, if they could just fix their life, if that, uh, you know, if our government would just do this, or if we would stop doing that, and we, we, we do all these things that just project the issue out, the issue out. But it doesn't actually get to the systemic issue, which is the issue of sin, which is in the human heart. And you might not be able to deal with that for other people. And Jesus doesn't ask you to do that. That's his job. But he does ask you to take responsibility for yourself. 
And this good news is truly the best news ever if you can actually come to a place where you accept uh, this, uh, this reality of sin, this reality of separation, this reality of shalom breaking. If sin is an infection of our spiritual blood, then every generation passes, passes it on. And the way that we actually get beyond that is that we choose to be part of the family of God because of what Jesus has done. In 1 John, the Apostle John says, the blood of Jesus purifies us from sin. From just sin? What does it say? From, from all sin. This is like a blood transfusion. Jesus transforms us from the inside out because sin actually corrupts from the inside out. And think of this. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, how many of your sins were in the future at that point? All of them, right? You had not sinned yet. So you're not just cleansed and healed from your past sins, you're cleansed and healed from all of your future sins. You are now forever right with God because of what Jesus has done if you choose to put your faith in Jesus. This is the good news. So now we can go on living like it. We can go on living like we're in right relationship with God, and that changes everything. So Jesus reunites us. Jesus reunites us with who we were. Jesus reunites us with who we were meant to be. Jesus reunites us with who we were meant to be with. And Jesus reunites us with who we were meant to be with forever. This is the good news for seeker saints and sinners. Now, we could illustrate this in a couple of ways. I'm going to tell the gospel, the good news, in two versions. Uh, one version you uh, probably heard uh, if you grew up in the church, or maybe you've heard uh, you know, news highlights online from, from Christians, and you have a certain understanding of what the good news is. Uh, and so we're going to talk about the gospel, uh, and I'm going to tell two versions of the first version, one that maybe you've historically heard, uh, and the second version being uh, the one that I think is more biblically accurate and true. Uh, the first one has lots of true things about it, beautiful things about it, but we'll, we'll talk about those when we get there. So, in the beginning, God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. God created them to be in loving relationship with him. They lived in shalom with him, in right relationship with him with each other. They had security in their identity as God's sons and daughters. They were ruling perfectly in all of creation. But because God is love, and that is his nature, he gives choice, because love necessitates choice. You can't force anyone to love you. And so he gave Adam and Eve a choice. And Adam and Eve chose to go their own way, to do things their own way, and they turned their backs on God. They chose to live outside of his plan for their life. And because they sinned, because they, they didn't do what they ought to do, God was holy, righteous, and so he couldn't be near sin, so he also turned his back on them and banished them from the garden. And so throughout history, you can see this on repeat, that people continue to turn their backs on God, but God... Uh, being holy, righteous, turns his back on them, and there's a separation between the two. And over and over again, 
Throughout history, man would try to find their way to God through religious systems and institutions. And they could never restore that relationship because it was man-driven. And they would always find that God had their back to him. God knew this problem. And so God actually sent his son Jesus, the perfect human, to come to earth. And Jesus was in perfect relationship with God the Father. In communion with God, talking with God, walking with God, living a perfect shalom with God. Jesus sent Jesus to take our place, to take on our sin, and to pay the penalty for our sin because God is holy and righteous and cannot be with sin. And so Jesus takes our sin our iniquity upon himself and he's crucified on the cross. And as Jesus is on the cross taking our sin upon himself, the Father turns his face away and forsakes Jesus. But now, because of what Jesus has done, he was resurrected three days later and if we put our faith in him, We receive his perfection and we can be like snow-covered dung and God can look at us like the way he looked at Jesus. This is the Gospel and Chairs version one. Now let me, there's lots of good things in that one. There's a couple of problems with it. Uh, One is how it paints uh, God as against humanity. Uh, Two, it paints uh, God actually in a separate light than Jesus, that Jesus is not God, but separate from God. Um, and it, it actually equates God's whole, his holiness, his righteousness, uh, on the level of his essence, which we actually addressed last week. So let me take another stab at this, the gospel in chairs, version two. Then in the beginning, there was God. God created humans to be made in his image, in his likeness. Male and female, he created them. They lived in perfect relationship with God, in shalom with God, with others, with self, with the world. And love, because God is love, gave Adam and Eve a choice, because love necessitates choice. And so Adam and Eve made the decision to go their own way, to do things their own way, and they chose to turn their backs on God. And God, because he is love, pursued them. He went looking for them in the garden. He said, Adam, where are you? Adam said, I'm hiding. He said, because I'm I'm naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? And he has a conversation with Adam in the garden. God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden, not because he couldn't be near them, because he clearly was with them, but because he, didn't, he did not want the state of sinfulness to be their permanent state, so he separated them from the tree of eternal life. Next generation, we have Cain and Abel. And Cain decides that he doesn't like his brother, which I know all too well. So he turns his back on God and says, I don't want to live in shalom with my brother. And he kills his own brother. What does God do? He pursues Cain. He comes and finds Cain. He actually gives Cain a mark on his head to protect Cain 
throughout his life, even in spite of the mistake that he made. And you see this over and over again in the story of God's people, that God would come, that he would create covenant with Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I want to live in right relationship with you. Uh, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham's well beyond his senior's deal discount at, at Denny's. Um, and he says, I'm not sure I can trust God uh, to do that, so I'm going to take it into my own hands, and I'm going to sleep with my slave instead of my wife, and I'm going to bear a child. And what does God do? God actually honors his covenant, still gives Abraham the child he promised, but even blesses the, chi- the child that Abraham had in his disobedience. And we'll see this over and over and over again. And God creates covenant with Israel. And Israel, and he says, Israel, I'm going to give you laws. I'm going to give you uh, ways to live to actually help you live in right relationship with me, to, to, to not move towards self-destruction. And Israel says, no, we would prefer the golden calf. And what does God do? He shows up and he stays faithful to his covenant and he pursues them. And then God says, I'm going to send you prophets and they're going to tell you how to live. And we said, no. And God keeps showing up, prophet after prophet. And they said, no. And God sends prophet after prophet to pursue them. And then finally, God decides to come himself in the form of Jesus. And so we see God in Jesus interacting with a Samaritan woman at a well. And this woman, who was Samaritan, was a mixed race, mixed religion, was not accepted by the people of God, and we see Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, sit down beside her. Not only was this woman a Samaritan, she was also someone who had a previous husband. The man she was with was no longer his husband. Not only had a previous one husband, two husbands, she had three ex-husbands, not four ex-husbands, she had five ex-husbands. And Jesus sits down with her at the well. God with flesh on Jesus offers her the true water of life so that she'll never thirst again. There's a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a Jew, but he turned his back on God and his own people and was exploiting his own people, taxing them beyond what they could bear, working for the Roman system. And Jesus shows up and sees this little man with little man syndrome hiding in a tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I want to eat with you. I want to have lunch at your house. And in this time, lunch at his house meant that I want to be in relationship and be near you. And it was a place of intimacy. And Zacchaeus, before anything, because of the front-loaded acceptance of Jesus, front-loaded acceptance of Jesus, says, I'm going to give back everything I owe plus interest and then give half of my wealth to the poor. That's repentance. Then there was a woman who was caught in adultery, who was sleeping with a man that wasn't her husband. And she's dragged out into the streets. By the way, where was the man? Where is he in the story? You see, this whole story was actually set up to trap her, and it was actually set up to trap Jesus. And so she is, she is dragged out in the street, and the law says, and the Pharisees said, the law says we should stone her. And Jesus shows up, and does he show up with a stone on With stones in his hands? No. He actually presses her accusers and says, if you're without sin, throw this first stone. One by one, they start walking away, and he looks at the woman, and he says, 
where are your condemners? Where are those who accuse you? And she said, they're gone. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And notice the order of that. He doesn't say, go and sin no more, and then neither will I condemn you. He says, he front loads forgiveness and acceptance, says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And he doesn't say, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more, and if you, if, if you, if you do sin more, then I will really condemn you. That's not what he says. We see this over and over again in the life of Jesus. Jesus front, front end loads acceptance and forgiveness, and we don't know what to do with it. And it threatens our religious institutions and our self-righteousness, and to the point where humanity decided to pour out our wrath on Jesus. Jesus takes the sin of the world upon himself, experiences the full consequences of our sin, our death, our hatred, our evil. We turned our backs on God. But because God is all-powerful, because God is life itself, the grave could not hold him, and God rose from the grave in Jesus, and he came back. He said, I'll be back. And when he said, I'll be back, did he come back with vengeance? No. He came back with forgiveness on his lips, and he says, peace I give to you. And if we choose not to turn our backs on God and we turn around, we will find that God's predisposition always, has always been for us. He has always been interested in the solution to the separation. But we must choose to turn ourselves towards him. This is the good news for seekers, saints, and sinners. And I don't know who you are or your own story, but I do know that this is your story. Because this is the story of humanity. And this is the story of God. That no matter what you've done, no matter what you've chosen, no matter what's been done to you, that God has never, ever stopped pursuing you. And at some point, you might get tired of running. That's his hope. Romans 2 says, the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. When we actually come face to face with God, because he's been face to face with us the whole time, we will recognize that he has done everything that we can not do on our own to be in relationship with us. And why would we not choose to walk into relationship with him? And if you're someone who's online or on site this morning, and you've never made that decision to actually walk in relationship with God, maybe you've been reminded this morning that he's still pursuing you, that he hasn't given up on you. And you don't need to decide that today, if you walk away from here, it's not going to stop him from pursuing you, he'll continue, but there's going to be some point in the future, and the Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue on earth confess that Jesus is Lord. It will happen. But maybe it could happen today. And maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you were following him out of fear because you were afraid of his wrath and his holiness and his righteousness. And maybe you've realized this morning that you've actually had wrong ideas of what God is like and who God is. But yeah, God is interested in getting rid of sin, but no, you and your sin are not the same thing. And he's offered us a solution. Would you put your faith in him? Let me pray. Father, we thank you 
that your predisposition is for us. We thank you that you pursue us. We thank you that you've never stopped pursuing us. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is working right now, whispering, wooing, inviting. Lord, I know there's people in this space, there's people in their homes right now who sense your Spirit calling them. Lord, may we just grow so tired of running. May we grow weary of doing it our own way. Lord, may we see your beauty, your good news in Jesus. Lord, when we look at his death and resurrection, we see a God that has taken the consequences of our decisions and he's forgiven us. Lord, he comes back in life, in power, in resurrection to offer us a new way of living. Why wouldn't we receive that? Lord, breathe your life into us. As we put our faith in you, Lord, may we experience life as it was meant to be, life with you as it was meant to be, that we can again reflect your image. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This is God's predisposition towards you. He is facing you. He is looking at you. He is pursuing you. He has not given up on you. And so the question is yours. The response is yours. God has already responded. He's already given his final word on sin. He's already given his final word on your mistakes. Uh, And so what will you do with it? Uh, In fact, he's restored to us the same decision that Adam and Eve had back in the garden now. And he, he says, you can choose to live life the way you want to, or you can choose to live life the way you were created to. So why don't you come back? Why don't you turn your chair around? Why don't you repent and turn back towards me? Because this is where you will find true life, the one that we're actually all longing for. And our prayer teams will be available at the end of service at the front. You can also email prayer at sunwestchurch.com. And they'd like to, they would be happy to pray for you uh, through that avenue as well. Uh, but I would just encourage you, if you sense the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, calling you towards himself, uh, to respond this morning, to come forward. We would love to chat with you, to pray with you. Uh, let me pray to conclude. Again, starting point week three uh, is after service. So, Father, we thank you that you have not given up on us. We thank you that your blood speaks a better word. Lord, we thank you that your blood speaks that we are forgiven. Your blood speaks that we are actually called to be your children, your sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you that In Jesus, we see your arms spread out. We see you suffering, not because you had to, but because you chose to. Lord, we know that forgiveness comes at a cost, and you paid that cost to forgive us. And we are forever in gratitude for what you have done for us. And so, Lord, we give you our lives in return to be all who we were created to be, Lord. Thank you that you loved us and that you did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And in the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Thank you for coming. Have a blessed week. We'll see you next week.